Blog Talk Radio. throughout the playoffs 
on our basketball blog, basketballfeed.blogspot.com. Um, and and things are things are on the way since we've since we talked last week. Uh, we've had we've had several games occur. Um, we'll see we'll see a couple of game threes tonight, um, a couple of game fours tonight. Um, rather, the first one this afternoon at two o'clock, Brooklyn and Chicago will be underway in Chicago for Game Four um, to kind of sum up where we're at around the league before we start to uh, recap this week in playoffs and playoffs and talk about uh, where each of us may have went wrong, uh, where we might be disappointed, and where we feel particularly confident in the selection we made. Um, out west. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma City over uh, playing against Houston at that eight seed, up two games to none. Uh, we'll see that game three tonight, the first game in Houston. Uh, obviously, the glaring storyline there with Russell Westbrook going down, um, needing surgery for that meniscus tear. Uh, certainly a storyline we'll we'll talk about later, what kind of impact that'll have on Oklahoma City. <clears throat> San Antonio against against my Lakers. Um, uh, making a fool of my Lakers, which we'll again we'll go into. Uh, they're up two games to none. We'll see. Uh, rather three games. Sorry, uh, San Antonio is up three games to none, and uh, Game Four in Los Angeles will be on Monday uh, or tomorrow, I believe. Um, the Clippers and the Grizzlies, um, a series that that we knew would be would be tough. Um, the Clippers up two games to one. We'll see that game four uh, this evening at 4.30 in Memphis. Um, uh, out east, you know, of course, Miami, New York, and Indiana, the top three seeds all up. Um, or rather, Indiana's up two games to none. Uh, Miami and, and New York both took commanding 3-0 leads over uh, Milwaukee and Boston, respectively. Um, the Brooklyn Chicago series, as mentioned before, Game Four will be underway at two o'clock in Chicago. Um, Chicago leading the series two games to one. They have won the last two games in that, in that series. And um, again, uh, a, a lot of a lot of storylines to consider here um, out west. I think I, I think I left that out in series out west um, with. Uh, Denver Golden State, obviously, which is the first one I think we should go into, given uh, the antics from Game Three last night in Oakland. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let Jay, you know, drive the conversation going forward because uh, he is the only one of us who actually picked Golden State to win um, in in seven games. And uh, directly quoted uh, was on our blog from Jason that Stephen Curry was going to have uh, his coming out party, and as a result. Um, uh, he, he picked Golden State to win thus far. Um, at least after that game one, when Andre Miller made the game-winning uh, layup there at the end of game one, um, it's been the Steph Curry show and and the Golden State show really, but obviously led by Steph Curry. Uh, Bill Simmons last night said it on ESPN uh, before the game, and you know, uh, and, and I'm sure you know Jay will allude to this, and Jay would agree that you know when you have the best player in the series. Um, that always matters. And, uh, you know, Steph Curry last night, you know, after tweaking his ankle there in game two in Denver, comes back last night limping and finishes with 29 points, 11 assists. Um, gets, you know, great help from other guys. Harrison Barnes, you know, playing so well at that that small ball power forward spot, which, you know, we, we have to talk about because 
uh, you know, Mark Jackson really made that adjustment there in game two after David Lee uh, went down after game one. He was ruled out for the rest of the playoffs. He started Andrew Bogut at center and put Harrison Barnes there at that small four, that power forward spot, rather. Um, that small ball four spot that I, I think, uh, you know, Miami has really become prevalent for and other teams are, you know, kind of going with that small ball mentality now. Um, George Carl tried to match that last night. He started Kenneth Fareed at the center um, as opposed to, to uh, Costa Kufis and started with four guard lineup there with, uh, I believe it was um, Andre Miller, uh, Iguodala, Wilson Chandler, um, and uh, uh, I remember who the fourth one was, but I know, you know, to go, trying to match kind of that small ball mentality going against Mark, Mark Jackson's new lineup. Um, uh, that's also a reason why this has been kind of an up-and-down series, as we would expect, in a high-scoring series as well. Um, I'll go right to Jay, who's made, who made the pick for Golden State. Um, Jay, what are you liking from Golden State so far, and uh, what are you? how confident are you with them, you know, going forward, taking this series? I, I love the way Golden State's playing right now. Um, the fact that George Carl – um, the coach from the Nuggets decided to change his lineup is 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 everything right now as far as dictating how this series is turning. Um, the Denver Nuggets cannot guard Golden State, and I mean, I, I figure I I thought that before the series, um, and and that's part of the reason why I went with Golden State. Um, you know, the emergence of Harrison Barnes, and and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry in the backcourt, and and then Jared Jack, who I think is their unsung hero. It, it, those, those four guards pose matchup problems, and they're kind of when I was watching them uh, a few nights ago when they won in Game Two, I really was just thinking like they're like a high-level college team in the way that they're playing. You know, they're shooting a lot of threes. A lot of it is off of penetration and, and, and kicks, and then you know Steph Curry working off a ball screen. Um, and I just, I, I just didn't think that Denver could match up with them. Even though Denver's a bigger team in their backcourt, they, they don't have the, the, the speed and the athleticism to really close out on these shooters consistently enough to slow them down. And as a result, Golden State is lighting them up. Uh, the game the other night, they scored 130 points, and they shot 61% from the floor in the first half, and then they kept it up in the second half. And as a team, they shot over 50% from three. And, and, and that alone just shows you that Denver is not quick enough on the perimeter to guard them. And and, and as a result, you know, Steph Curry is, is coming off of arguably maybe probably Carmelo, other than Carmelo, he's playing. He's having putting up the best numbers out of anyone in the postseason. He had 30 and 13 the night before, and like Martin said, he had 29 and 11 last night. And he has absolutely been the best player in this series. And I just think that's going to carry Golden State on to to make it to the second round, and uh, for what could be an interesting matchup with either the Rockets or the Thunder. So I, I love the way Golden State's playing. Mark Jackson has been playing with a, a toughness as a team that we haven't seen from a Golden State team since, you know, the Baron Davis days. 
So I'm I'm just really excited about the way they're playing, and I think they're going to win this series. And I will go and say five games if Denver's lucky six, because Denver can't guard them, and it's obvious. Um, minor quick correction: uh, the the winner of this of the Golden State series will actually play the winner of the San Antonio series in the next okay. round. So okay. So that's what that'll be San Antonio. So. Um, <laughs> That, that that'll be the second round matchup. But definitely the strong points there. I, I feel like, uh, you know, I remember Jason, you telling me, uh, mentioning the fact that whole kind of college aura Gold State has about um, it's definitely kind of manifesting in their play. Uh, Lawrence, for your thoughts from the, the Golden State series, you took over as well um, uh, along with me and Tom. So what are your thoughts so far? What are you seeing? I think that the injuries have really stood out on, on Denver. I, I think that uh, Jay made a good point talking about uh, George Carl having switched up his lineup. And uh, I mean, realistically, he's, I saw Denver as a defensive-minded team that's going to get stops and, and be able to still score with the Warriors, but that just hasn't proven to be the case. I mean, Golden State is, is simply outscoring them. They're playing better offense than them. And then Denver can't find a solution whatsoever for that four-guard lineup. I thought, I, I mean, when I heard the news about David Lee, I thought that just solidified my pick. I, I thought maybe Denver would mess around and take it in maybe five. But, I, I mean, it's proven to be the opposite. It has been Stephen Curry's playoff coming out party. And I mean, like I said, it, he's one of the more exciting players to watch. So it, it's a cool thing to see nonetheless. I'm not I'm not necessarily heartbroken by Denver, nor am I surprised. I knew Golden State was a good team. Last week I talked about Harrison Barnes being a really, really good basketball player and a, someone that, that is going to be chief for Golden State. And he's played really well. And obviously Stephen Curry, Jarrett Jack has had some huge games. Clay Thompson, I mean... It, it's it's all around a just the momentum is with Golden State right now. So I I'm okay with with Denver not holding up to my pick. I mean it's I thought that they were going to be able to hold it out, but I, I feel like the Warriors are going to mess around and take this hit. It's it, you know I think for me, uh, in, you know pick Denver to win in six, and I'm 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 disappointed in Denver. You know, I from what I saw last night, and you know, game two was kind of more, um, you know, game two was really more of just an offensive, just a real offensive show from Golden State and from Steph Curry, who we all kind of agree is the best player in the series. But for a team like Denver to earn themselves a three seed, to go thirty and three at home, to to become, you know, probably one of the better recent templates of George Carl's system. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in what I see, and particularly from Andre Iguodala. You know, you get a big game from Ty Lawson last night, um, goes for 35 points and 10 assists, was really going blow for blow there with F. and Curry for, for a good portion of that game. And, you know, you know Iggy had a, you know, he had a solid game throughout particularly in the last two minutes. I mean, you're right there. First of all, Denver blows a 13-point lead in the third quarter. The Warriors come back with a 16-2 run. 
end up taking the, the lead, the one-point lead, when Steph Curry made the three over by Denver's bench, in which case the Golden State crowd just went berserk. And it you you felt the momentum shift in that game last night. But under the two-minute mark, and, and another stat to also consider, you know, the rebounding battle has been won by Golden State the last three games. They won it last night, 42-34. to 34. They, they've had the upper edge in the rebounding battle every game, even after losing day 50. And again, a, a sense of disappointment for me. Someone like Kenneth Fareed, who has been nicknamed the animal, strictly because of his knack for being on the glass and grabbing and getting offensive rebounds and really dominating the paint area. Um, for him to be part of a team that's losing the rebounding battle for three straight games is astonishing. And, and it's disappointing. And I'm looking at this Denver team and I'm saying... You know where? You know when are we going to see that that fight and that toughness, that that resilience that we saw all year? Um, obviously, this is you know this is the playoffs, it's a seven game series, and teams get a chance to redeem themselves. Um, the uh, the that that'll be you know that'll be crucial for Game Four tomorrow, obviously. Um, but again, back to you know down the stretch last night with under two minutes, you know Denver had they they had. Actually, they had two chances to either tie or take the lead there down the stretch. Uh, Iguodala makes a drive. They're, they're down by three points at this point, 108-105. He leaves his feet, tries to make it just a completely ill-advised pass to Kenneth Farid. It gets stolen by Jack uh, 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 Jack Jarrett, who goes the other way, gets fouled, makes one end of the of the two free throws, puts them up four. After that, you know, Denver got another chance there down the stretch because Harrison Barnes misses the front end of the one and one. Iguodala misses the the, the three point heave at the end there. But I'm looking for, I guess, you know, you get such a good game from Ty Lawson throughout, and just the inability to finish, which just reminds me of the the, the, the Andre Iguodala of old from Philadelphia, who seemingly made the transition after playing in the Olympics last summer and going to Denver and kind of being the main guy for them. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a strong response from Denver in game four. You know, it's going to be tough to win with that momentum Golden State has riding out and the way that they're playing, like we've all talked about, but you look for them to respond. Uh, but what do you guys, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, in terms of a response, I know Jay said he thinks Golden State, you know, has really taken the reins of the series, but, you know, what do you think we see in, in a game four tomorrow? I think it's I, I, I think it's gonna be a fight. And and I, I George Carl teams are usually tough minded teams. I mean, Denver has veterans like Andre Miller, you know, even Iguodala who have playoff experience and, and Denver's gonna put up a fight. I mean, this series is far, far from over. And and obviously this game four, um, with the series being two one will tell us everything. Um, but you know, I think Denver's gonna put up a fight. I, 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 I want to say I kind of like Denver in Game Four, but like uh, to my point before, and I, and and you know, I'll just go back to this: if Steph Curry remains remains playing at the level that he's at right now, and and with all of the defensive issues that that Denver is having, you know, guarding Golden State, you know, if Golden State takes a three one lead on this series, this this one is done. And and Denver Denver, 
Lawrence brought up a great point. I think Denver's injuries, specifically Gallinari, right now, is that that is that is huge. That is that is absolutely huge. And then not a lot of people talk about it, but Gallinari was their leading scorer during the season. He's a matchup nightmare, and and he could have equalized the scoring punch of Denver to Golden State. And, and and Golden State would have, I think, then had to adjust their lineup in order to guard Denver better. So, you know, Denver's just in a bad spot right now. And, you know, just like the Knicks game last night, I feel like we're going to learn a lot about Golden State and if they're for real or not in, in this next game. And, and if they can get a 3-1 lead, I think I think they put them I think they put them away away in the next two games. I just I can't see Denver um, being down three one and winning winning three games in a row and winning the series. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, so um, Denver is in deep trouble for sure. A, a crucial a crucial game for there, um, uh, Lawrence. Out of the out of the four teams, obviously Miami. Uh, uh, New York, well, Indiana, and I, I guess I keep thinking Indiana, but they have Game 3 in Atlanta today. But uh, Miami, New York, and San Antonio, the only teams with commanding 3-0 leads right now, which of those teams right now do you think you've been most impressed with thus far? I would have to say the Knicks. I mean, I, I talked about it last week. This is kind of the marquee matchup of the first round of the playoffs. It's Knicks, Celtics, it's Two teams with very illustrious basketball histories. I mean, two epic places to play at, both gardens. And um, the Knicks have just been unstoppable. The the Celtics have not been able to find an answer for them at all. I thought Jeff Green's presence on Carmelo could maybe slow him down a little bit, and it has done the exact opposite. I mean, it's it's a very physical matchup, and it's still a fun matchup to see because Jeff Green still scores on Carmelo. We still know that Carmelo isn't necessarily the best defender. I mean, I mean that's kind of the argument a lot of people make in the Melo versus LeBron argument is that Carmelo can't necessarily guard guys out on the perimeter as well as LeBron can. But at the same time, his scoring neutralizes all of that. I mean, he's he's been fantastic. J.R. Smith is has been a little spurty, but the fact that he's been spurty and they still have been able to be successful speaks very well for the for the Knicks. I mean, I we talked about this yesterday, and we said that <clears throat> Game Three at the TD Garden was going to be a game where we really saw if the Knicks were ready to play some playoff basketball, and they showed that they were. The veteran leadership, Jason Kidd, and Martin tweeted last night, Jason Kidd is, is the best second-pass guy in the game, and he really is. I mean, if there's if there's someone that's open and he gets the ball, like it's a quick no-brain swing, and the, the three-point shot has been huge for the Knicks as it has been all year. I mean, I said that they live and die by the three, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, especially if and when. I mean, it looks like they're going to get to Miami. It looks like we're going to have a next Miami final at this point. I think the Indiana matchup in the next round is going to be difficult for them, but if they continue to play the way they've been playing, they'll take care of Indiana. So I'm 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 very much looking forward to seeing a Miami-New York uh, Eastern Conference final and uh New York definitely has been the most impressive. I mean, Miami is taking care of business. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. 
Um, so that, there's no really real shockers there. Uh, Jay, Jay actually brought up, though, the, the fact that Dwayne Wade hasn't been Dwayne Wade that we're used to seeing is, go, is going to be interesting for Miami, especially if they make it or when they see a team like a New York in the Eastern Conference Finals or whoever they will see. Whoever they'll see will be ready to play the Heat. So um, I, I think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, I, I mean, dominant performances from LeBron, he, we, we knew he was going to do this. They, they, he have just been have proven to be way too much for uh, Milwaukee. They won't take a game. But I mean, I wonder. Do you guys think that uh, that New York can take care of Boston and make this a sweep? I think they can. I mean, based off of these last three games, right? It's not only it's not only what what the Knicks are doing on the offensive end. It's also what they're doing to Boston on the defensive end, which is shocking. And, I mean, I, I was watching the game last night, and it's the fourth quarter, and Boston has 60 points. And I'm like, they're not going to make it to 70, 75 points in this game. You know, Golden, Golden State in one game has probably scored just as much or, uh, points as, as Boston has in games two and three. So Boston offensively is struggling. And they can't guard the Knicks, so they can't win. Like, you know, like it's really very cut and dry in this series. And, you know, I'll answer Martin's question really fast. I think the Knicks have been the most impressive team in the playoffs thus far. Melo has been the best player in the playoffs over the first couple games, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think JR is playing great. Um you know, kind of opposite of what Lauren said. I don't think he's been streaky at all. I think he's been great. Um, really quickly, that that he got ejected last night, if anybody saw it, for throwing an elbow. Jason Terry fouled him very hard first. But the second guy always gets caught. We see it in basketball. We see it in football. So, you know, that's unfortunate. I don't think the league will, will – there won't be any penalties as far as him missing a game or anything like that, um, which is great. But the Knicks, the Knicks are rolling – Boston right now, and Boston has no answer. As good as Doc Rivers has been, you know, over the last couple years um, in the playoffs, making adjustments, uh, making adjustments, I don't think there's an adjustment that he can make that can even this thing out right now. And, uh, you know, the Knicks, they look great, and I can't, I, I, I hope Miami and the Knicks meet in the Eastern Conference Final, and it, it would be Tremendous, and I think Melo is playing at a level right now that you're going to have to start putting Melo in that best player in the league conversation for real. And I was saying last night, if the Knicks can beat Miami in an Eastern Conference Final and get to a chip, it's going to be because of Melo. And then now, if Melo even gets a ring in New York this year, then you have this Melo Lebron conversation that we're going to possibly talk about all summer, depending on, you know, how, how the Knicks play out this year. So it's going to be interesting to see. Absolutely going forward that you've got to keep your eye on that. Um, in the, I mean, I'm with you guys. The, the New York Knicks have impressed me most, and, and I did tweet it last night. I said, you know, and I was, I was one of the people who was really high on the Jason Kidd acquisition just because of, the team, the thing that he can bring to your team that 
you that you really don't see on paper necessarily, especially now in the latter part of his career. Um, but doing basically the same things he did for that Dallas Mavericks team two years ago that beat Miami in the finals. Um, as I tweeted, making those those extra passes in New York with the, you know so predicated on on dribble penetration from from Felton and and from uh, you know even Pablo Prigioni, the 35 year old rookie. Um, you know, a lot of dribble penetration, lots of kickouts. You know, J.R. Smith and those guys, they, they, they hoist it up. And Jason Kidd is one of those guys. You know, he's been shooting the ball so well from three all year. Ironically enough, he's never known as a good shooter throughout his entire career. In fact, that was probably the one weakness that people look to exploit. And now he's become this kind of catch-and-shoot, standstill three-point shooter for the Knicks, and you're forced to close out on him and – you know, that extra pass is either a, a Carmelo, a J.R. Smith, or a Steve Novak, or any one of the other guys that can hoist it up from three. So um, another thing that impresses me is, you know, I mentioned Prigioni, you know, that, and it actually just occurred to me last night, the guy from Argentina, I, I, I don't think I ever realized he was who he was. I, I don't think I knew that I'd actually seen him before from the Olympics. Those games against Argentina – uh, with Manu Ginobili and 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 those guys, uh, I think he, I think uh, or Nocioni's on Steam, but the Argentina team that would be so tough. I, I remember Prigioni's face, and he would always give Team USA problems. But the things he does for the Knicks, I mean, he had such a strong first quarter. I think he finished the game with five steals. Five um, um You know, and Jason mentioned the fact that they're playing. You know, they're they're really they're playing very well on the defensive end. And a big story with Boston, obviously, is their, their lack of offense. And, and Jay mentioned it last week. Without Rondo, obviously, a huge part of their playmaking ability is lost there. But, you know, Boston unable to score 80 points in, in any of the first three games. And, you know, you look at Boston's team and their roster and you say, you know, obviously they're lacking offensively, particularly in the backcourt. But, you know, you still have Paul Pierce. You still have Jeff Green. You know, you still, you know, and Pierce and Garnett, obviously, you can see them physically just, you know, obviously not, you know, not able to do the things they used to, still effective, at, you know, in spurts, but they would need, they need a lot more help from their youth. And for them to not be able to put up 80 points, you do kind of look at their roster and say, okay, they're not a high-scoring volume team, but you do credit the New York defense as well because you have Prigioni on the, on the perimeter being physical. You have, um, you know, Carmelo has stepped up at least his defensive intensity. You have Kenyon Martin in there, you know, a lot of times playing that five spot when they go small and take out Chandler. Um, he's defending well with high energy, just doing the things that Kenyon Martin does. So for them to go on the road in Boston in game three, I think, and you know, and we'll switch it over to the West to talk about, you know, the Clippers-Grizzly series, among others. But, you know, typically that game three, um, we, I mean, I, I feel like game three is, is the toughest game to get on the road because it's, it's your first game at Boston or, or, or at Memphis or wherever, and, you're, you know, you're kind of getting settled. The game four is kind of that game where you're, you kind of know a little bit more what to expect. You're established, and I think game fours are, are typically the better game for road teams to steal. For New York to take that game three that way in Boston, um, in such a commanding way, it definitely says a lot. And I'm with you guys. I think they're they're the best team. They're rolling right now, and and they've taken their play towards the end of the regular season and really translated it here in, in the playoffs. Um, uh, like I said, you know, going out west, um, 
as we said, we have game three in Houston tonight. The big storyline the last few days in, in the entire playoffs is Russell Westbrook going down. Um, I, want to, I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. And I think, you know, people have been talking about it, obviously, the last few days. It seems like the consensus is that they won't have any type of um, extensive problems with Houston without Westbrook. But, you know, you look forward, you look ahead, and that next round is going to be the Clippers or the Grizzlies. And uh, obviously probably much tougher out than a, than a Houston Rockets team. But um, let's talk about the loss of Westbrook. I mean, do you guys think that's going to have an impact on, on even this series? I think it, I think it most certainly is going to have an impact on this series. And it's, it's not so – it's not so much offensively for me with Westbrook um, as far as his impact on the series. It's his impact on the defense of it. And, you know, Jeremy Lin is, is a good player. And, you know, he obviously had his, his, his breakout, you know, year, and I, and I loved it. But Westbrook has been all over him the last two games. And Westbrook just applies so much ball pressure that it makes it hard for for teams to get into their sets and and you know with 24 seconds on the shot clock to really like move the ball and get a good shot. So my my concern with Westbrook being out is how Oklahoma City adjusts defensively, and and you know you know he's averaging 23.4 points a game I believe in the playoffs so far. Um, in the first couple games, and offensively he will be missed. Um, but I think I, I, I'm excited to see Kevin Durant really, really, you know, get his number called as much as I think that he should. And, you know, he's going to have to be extra aggressive, and I don't think he has a problem with being extra aggressive. Um, obviously, like people like Serge and Kevin Martin – and 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 some other people on their team are going to have to step up and kind of make up for the offense that that they're going to be missing without Westbrook. But I am thrilled to see Kevin Durant in this position as bad as that sounds. Um, and I think he's going to thrive. I think he's ready, and he, he's been ready for some time now, and and now it's really his his team to really drive, you know, offensively especially, um, to close out this series. So uh, we're going to learn a lot about Oklahoma City um, in this next game. But I think Houston can steal one. And, and at home, you know, Westbrook being out is, is still it's going to be an adjustment period, at least for a little bit for Oklahoma City. Um, so this is the perfect time for, for the Rockets to come in and try to sneak a win and make this thing a series again, and uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be, it'll certainly be interesting on both sides. Yeah, I think. I mean, Russell Westbrook being out is that is obviously a, a huge deal for OKC. I mean, it's it's one of their star guys. Is he? We know what Russell Westbrook does for OKC, but I I am looking forward, like Jay said, to seeing what KD does here because. I mean, there's been a discussion throughout the playoffs, throughout the regular season for the past few years, is Russell taking too many shots, 
when is KD going to really like demand the ball and and really be that guy? And um, I mean, there's no time like now. I mean, Russell Westbrook's out. It's a playoff matchup. I mean, they can certainly lose to Houston. Houston, Houston has played well enough to to be in some of to be in some of these games. So. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. Jeremy Lin may not play tonight, according to ESPN. Um, they said he sat out of the Friday practice with a chest injury, but um, all right, so that could affect Houston as well. Both teams without their starting point guard. Reggie Jackson's gonna have to play really well for um, for OKC. I mean, it's gonna be split time between him and Derek Fisher at the point guard position. So. He he has to do a lot for them, and he's a I mean he's a good basketball player. He's a he's a superb athlete. I mean he can make plays, and as long as he as long as he's solid and gets the ball to Kevin Durant, Kevin Martin plays well. I don't think that they'll have an issue. I, I think that they will beat Houston tonight. I think they'll take care of business. Uh, Kevin Durant is is that much better than than his competition, and I mean I think that'll that'll translate, and we'll see a show from KD tonight. So, you know, I I look at I I you know I, I it's definitely so true what you guys I mean you know and now is that certainly and I saw him say it in an interview you know he he knows now it's solely on him you know he's lost his his running mate um, a little a little hint of irony now you know it's like. You know, with the Harden trade, you know, you don't have James Harden there to 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 help out. You know, right? It's really, it's really on Kevin Durant now, and he, you know, it's almost like he's on his own now. I, I will say, you know, it is we are we are about to see, we are about to learn a lot about Kevin Durant, but we are also about to learn a lot about the Oklahoma City Thunder. For someone like Russell Westbrook, who accounted for twenty nine percent of his team's points during the regular season. Um, who, who, you know, obviously a high average type of guy, you know, you're going to have to get points from a lot of different places where you typically don't get points from. Um, you know, I watched first take this week on ESPN, uh, and, they, you know, they talked about this. You know, Kevin Durant said in an, in an interview with Sports Illustrated, uh, you know, kind of this obsession he has with LeBron and how he's been studying LeBron's game. And he, he even hired his own analytics expert to break down kind of the, you know, he, he's kind of become an efficiency uh, uh, aficionado, I guess you could call him. But he's, he's become obsessed with efficiency and, you know, taking the right shots and, and looking to, you know, up his assist level. You know, he's, high, he's averaging the highest uh, amount of assists this season than he has before. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how he really handles the situation because I, from what, from what I'm, reading from what I'm seeing from someone like Kevin Durant, I'm not, I don't see him going out and taking 20 to 30 shots, even without Westbrook on the floor. Um, I'm interested to see how he, how he approaches it because, he can, I mean, realistically, he could go out and maybe get 40 to 50 points. I mean, he can do that whenever he wants. He's already the league's second-best scorer, you know, for, you know, three years in the running scoring champion before this year. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm, I'm fascinated mm-hmm. to see how he takes this because he could get 50 and they could lose. They could drop one to the Houston Rockets today. 
you know, uh, they, they, Houston went with that three-guard lineup in game two that actually that gave Oklahoma City some problems. Um, Patrick Beverly came, you know, made his first start, scored 16 points for them. They really started to get that kind of dynamic offense going that they had throughout the year. I mean, they were second in offense in the NBA in the regular season. So, you know, it's for Oklahoma City to keep up their level of scoring, uh, you know, I, it's going to take more school, a little more scoring from Kevin Durant, I think. But I'm interested to see how he weighs out his own, you know, his own uh, enhancement of his of his scoring, taking his more shots as opposed to because he's going to have to get other guys involved. And when you look at Russell Westbrook, obviously his his strengths are in his motor and his ability to to get to the rim and you know finish at the rim and get himself to the free throw line. He's not particularly known for getting others involved. So, you know, I mean, you take that away, you need more scoring is what I'm saying. And then I think, what do you guys think? I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kevin Durant approaches this. I guess it's kind of backtracking off what you guys said. But I'm interested to see if we see higher field goal attempts or, or maybe a higher assist number. Maybe, maybe we see him going for, you know, 10 plus assists looking to get guys like Ricky Jackson and, and – even in Nick Collison going. I mean, you're, you're going to have to see production from, from other guys, right? And looking forward to the, to the second round, if they are going to play the Clippers or the Grizzlies, who both have exceptional point guards, like they, Jason said, you miss, his, you miss Russell Westbrook's presence, obviously, on both ends itself. And without that defensive pressure, someone like Chris Paul or Mike Conley could, could I mean, seemingly have a, have a much better time getting through that Oklahoma City defense. See, I, I I actually I and I and I I like that Kevin Durant is trying to be more efficient. And and I hear that. But now he's in a position where where getting others involved and stuff like that kinda has to take a back seat without Westbrook. Like LeBron can do that because he has the pieces around him that enable him to do that. You know, he has shooters who are Terrific, you know Ray Allen, Shane Battier, Chalmers, Miller, whoever you know, whoever they bring off the bench, um, Rashard Lewis now. So he has the shooters where he can do that. Kevin Durant doesn't have that type of scoring talent around him in Oklahoma City, where he can sit back and try to be, you know, Mister Efficient, and you know, you know, get really, really concentrated on getting people involved. I think his I think his shot value has to go up. I think he does have to take twenty to twenty five shots. And I think he's gonna have to score over, you know, thirty, thirty five, forty points. I think he has to be in that region to kind of make up for what they lose offensively with with Russell Westbrook. And and I don't I don't think I don't think he can be concentrate. I don't think his concentration needs to be on being efficient. I think his concentration needs to be consistently putting pressure on the defense and being extremely aggressive and 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 not shying back from this opportunity because you know that's ultimately what this is right now for him to really really not that he has to prove anything to anybody because we know he can go out and he can get forty and he's elite. We know that, and and all this talk about him, like not, like I'm sick of being number two, and and all of these things, like I hear that. Here's your chance, Kevin Durant. You know, here here it is. 
It's right in front of you. I know Skip Bayless is probably hyped that Westbrook is hurt right now because Kevin Durant really can be the Kevin Durant that we all know that he has the capability of being. And that's a dominant scorer who can go out and win a game, not on his own, but him being the, the primary guy. And, and, and I'm excited to see what he does. And, and, and I hope that he's extremely aggressive, and I hope that he sees that this game is all, kind of ultimately a closeout game in this series because I think if they go up 3-0, you know, there's nothing Houston can do to come back from that. So I think tonight especially of how important this game is, I think he needs to come out and be uber-aggressive, you know, get to the line, hit jump shots, consistently put pressure on the on Houston's defense because there's no one that Houston has that can guard him. And it, it, it's, just, it's just a matter of him being as aggressive as he's ever been in the NBA um, and, and, just, and just putting consistent pressure on Houston. And I think he will. And I think uh, as a result, He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna catapult himself into the conversation of who's playing the best basketball in the playoffs right now, and uh, he's gonna do it. I'm I'm confident that he's gonna come out and he's gonna be ready to really really you know make his mark on this postseason and and kind of keep Oklahoma City going with the absence of Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I think so that I think. I think- well, sorry, I'll, I'll let you go, Lawrence, but just to kind of finalize, Jay, I, I mean, I think I hear Jay saying something similar to what I think Stephen A. Smith said when they had the conversation on first take, and that, and, and when it comes to Kevin Durant, and that's be who you are. You know, be be efficient, but first and foremost, Kevin Durant is a scorer, so you look yeah. for him to go out and just look to score. I mean, yeah. especially with the lack of scoring with Westbrook out there, I mean, you look for him to, to be, as Jason said, overly aggressive, at times maybe even force the issue. He's got to get those shots up. Uh, Lawrence, your thoughts? I think that both numbers need to go up in terms of in terms of both points and assists. I mean, the last last game against Houston, he actually had 29 and 9 assists. He's a guy that can spread the ball and get others involved. I think that with Westbrook being out, there can be a greater defensive focus put on Kevin Durant because there's not that other guy that can really, really – hurt you if you play off of them a little bit. So I think it is, it is it's going to be up to Kevin Durant to to take more shots, yes, to be more offensively aggressive, yes, but at the same time look to get other guys more involved. He, I mean, he doesn't have all the shooters that LeBron has, but he has Kevin Martin, who's a very good jump shooter, get him some open shots. Cephalosa can knock down the three ball, get – Sergi Baca involved. I mean, he can. He, he has the tools to be able to get guys involved. Derek Fisher even coming off the bench. We know he's a consistent shooter. I mean, he he has the tools around him to be able to, to kind of spread the ball and be the guy that the offense goes through. I think that that's the role he needs to take up now. It's not, and it, it does have a lot to do with efficiency because he should take the right shots. I mean. He, he's not necessarily a guy that will go out and have a very, very cold night, but if it's only him and he's just out there putting up nonstop shots and getting all of the – and getting most of the defensive uh, defensive pressure, I mean, he 
he could be the demise of the Thunder. I think he I think he has to definitely oh, press the I mean, it's, they're not going to lose. I, I don't think that they're going to lose. But at the same time, without Russell Westbrook, doesn't that free up a little bit for Houston to put some added pressure on the Kevin Durant, and which is going to open up other guys a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that. But my thing is, you know, Kevin, like there's, there's 24 points of offense that is missing with the absence of Russell Westbrook. He's he's not a role player on this team. He's, no, not at he's, all. He's 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 their, he's one of their guys. And when one of your guys is down, you know, somebody's gonna have to pick up the slack. And what my what I'm saying is I don't think that the people that are gonna pick up the slack necessarily are gonna be the role players of Oklahoma City. Uh I think it has to be 50-50 with Kevin Durant and the other guys on the team, and and I yo I don't Kevin Durant can have twenty nine and nine, and 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 Oklahoma City can still beat Houston, but what I'm saying is in the later rounds especially, twenty nine and nine is not going to get it done against the Clippers. Oh, not at all, not at all. Twenty nine and nine is not going to get it done against the Spurs, so I want him to start establishing dominance as far as getting 35 and 7 or 8 or 40 and, and, and 6 or 7 or 8 more so than, than 27 to 29 and 9. I, I just don't think those numbers are going to be enough for the other guys on Oklahoma City to score enough points to win games right now. I think Certainly Kevin not. Durant has to take it upon himself to say I'm the leader of this team I'm one of the best players in the league, and and I don't care what anybody else thinks. I can help this team do it right now. And and, there's, and, and Jeff Van Gundy brought up a great point, you know, with, with teams in the NBA either going all out right now and trying to win a championship right now and guys who are building towards the future and saying, yo, we want to do it in the next couple of years. Oklahoma City's in a position – especially after going to the finals last year, that they want to win a chip right now. So for them to win a chip right now, with Westbrook being hurt especially, Kevin Durant has to play out of his mind. He has to go out and have 50-some games. He has to go out and have 40-some games. And that's just the reality of the situation right now. And and, and I don't think there's much conversation should should be, you know, going on about him being, a facilitator as well. That, that I don't think that's his primary focus right now. I think his primary focus is I need to go out, be aggressive, and I and not to, to put a number on anything, but I think he's going to have to score in the 30s every game right now with Westbrook being out. And, and, and that's just the reality of the situation right now. And, and you know, I – I love you guys' arguments about him being efficient and having to get other people involved, and that will come, you know, with double teams being sent his way and, and all that stuff. Those opportunities will come, but it, it has to be pedal to the metal for Kevin Durant right now. No, none, none of that, you know, I'm going to be efficient and I'm only going to take 15 shots. Like, no, no, I'm not saying come out and jack. I'm saying he needs to come out and be aggressive. And, and and get thirty, get thirty five, get forty, and that's how it is right now. 
it's it's definitely it can be argued. You know, everything's got to especially now. Everything must go through him. You don't have another guy out there that you can that you can operate from. And mm-hmm. and you make a strong point. You know, with you know even with what Lauren said. You know, the defensive pressure is going to come. I'm sure double teams will have to be forced onto him. You know, there's not one person on there that can guard him single coverage. So th- he will see double teams, in which case, you know, like you said, other guys are going to have to make shots. I think Jay made a strong point with the comparison with LeBron's situation. You know, LeBron has other guys, obviously that guy, Dwayne Wade, but, you know, Kevin Durant doesn't have his Dwayne Wade anymore. And, uh, you know, looking at LeBron's situation, though, like Jay said, there's a, lot, there's a lot more potency offensively. They have they have got you know your Shane Battiers, your Ray Allen, you know your Shard Louis, you know even Chris Bosh who steps out and, and takes the three. You know they have guys that can that can take shots that take shots and make shots. Oklahoma City, there are I, I see them as a jump shooting team. They certainly don't go to Kendrick Perkins in the post for looking for offense. But again, you know I, I think that's a strong point there in terms of comparing the situations because, you know, LeBron LeBron gets his scoring, but I think in looking at how he looks at LeBron is how he doesn't take a lot of shots to get his points. But as Jay said, you know, LeBron has snipers, and Kevin Durant is the sniper on his team. I mean, he, he has Kevin Martin, you know, as Lawrence alluded to. You know, Abaka is a jump-shooting big who can make those shots from 15 to 18 feet, in the, you know, in the short corner from the top. He's proven that. Um, but first and foremost, you know, Kevin Durant, particularly, especially now with Westbrook out, he is, he is the sole catalyst. And, and I, I mean, I think I, I would have to go – I think we have to see the best of both because I, I don't think 29 and – I think I don't think 29 and 9 assists gets them a win today against Houston because that would – I mean, 29 points, 9 assists, I, I mean, I'm with Jay. I think every game has to be a 30-plus point game for Kevin Durant. For, for Oklahoma City to, to be winning. I don't think 29 points and 9 assists or 10 assists necessarily constitutes a, a uh, you know, everybody else besides Kevin Durant really really getting there, especially, I mean, Houston puts up points. Houston can score 100 points. It's, you know, we're, we're going to have we have to watch out for where the points are going to come from. And it's hard to argue again, you know, Kevin Durant is, is – is who he is, and I think we can all agree we would like to see him be who he is, and that is a scorer. And and today's game three, like Jay said, it can be a closeout game. He comes out today, has a big scoring game, you know, leads his team through. I, I'm I'm pretty sure if I, if I'm not mistaken, there hasn't been a team in NBA history to come back from a 3-0 deficit in the playoffs. Um, so that essentially a game three win when you're up 2-0, is, it, it, you know, it kind of is a closeout game. You kind of take your heart, um, take the, the other team's heart, a lot of what New York did in Boston last night. So definitely, you know, a storyline to watch out for. Um, I think the one, the one, the, the last series I think we haven't had a chance to really kind of discuss and, and recap, or actually it's really two series, and it's the 4-5, on both ends, um, the Brooklyn-Chicago, which which is underway in just a few minutes here, game four in Chicago. Um, uh, but Jason and I picked Brooklyn. Um, Lawrence and Tommy both picked uh, Chicago to win the series. Um, it's been that kind of chippy series. And then on the other side, you have the Clippers and Memphis. 
Um, so quick thoughts from you guys on those two series. Um, what, what you've seen, kind of what's disappointing you. I will say personally, I'm much like the Denver Nuggets. I'm looking at the Brooklyn Nets with a, sense, with a sense of disappointment. I mean, I want to see them come out and have a stronger game in this game, uh, this game four. But Jason and I talked about it before, and it was part of the reason why I think we both shared our, our opinions and our picks with Boston in that they have to find ways to score because they have, they have options on the offensive end. I mean, they have scores. You look at someone like Darren Williams, game two, one for nine from the field for eight points is not going to get Brooklyn out of the first round against Chicago. Um, uh, not being able to score 80 points is not going to get you out of a round in Chicago. And as I said to Jay before, you know, if you can't score 80 points against Chicago, no one wins that game. I mean, I, I'm, I'm counting Miami in there, anybody who cannot – if you can't score 80 points against Chicago, you lose the game flat out. Um, and I think it's a similar kind of thing with the Memphis and Clippers – series, um, you know, you saw the Clippers almost have their way in those first two games in L.A. I mean, they were tough games. Obviously, Chris Paul made the, that game-winning shot there at the end of game two. Um, but in game three, you know, they they kind of just coasted. They came out a little flat, kind of coasted, like I said before, kind of that initial game three on the road where, you know, you, you either bring it or you don't. And, and they didn't bring it in game three. And so now they're their backs aren't against the walls, but they look to, you know, respond with a strong game four in Memphis, look to take a 3-1 lead. So, uh, you know, the Clippers-Grizzly series for me is is really just the most gritty, kind of the most, the, the toughest series to watch in terms of just the physicality and and with both teams really going blow for blow at each other. Um, so I, I want to get you guys' thoughts. Uh, uh, Jay, your, your thoughts on, on both the four, the four or five series on both ends. They're both 2-1 they're both right now, um, both definitely really dicey. So what are you thinking? Um, these are going to be entertaining series. Um, these two are kind of it's, – it's like a watching both of these games is kind of like an NCAA tournament game. Um, like like we talked about, um, you know, in our, in our previous weeks, you know, teams that are winning games are the teams that can establish their type of style and tempo. And – both of these teams, it's the same thing. Bulls in Memphis, they want to slow it down. They want to be a half-court bruiser type game. Clippers, the Clippers and and uh, and the Brooklyn Nets are more high-powered offensive teams that want to run. They want to get out in transition. They want to score a lot of points. And what we saw, um, you know, was Chicago, uh, two out of these three games, really dictate the tempo. Um, set up in their defensive sets and really slow down and give the Nets tons of problems offensively. I don't think there's any way that a team with Joe Johnson, Deron Williams, and 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 Brooke Lopez should be in the 80s ever. Like I I, I don't see how that's possible, and, and and it's only happening because of the Bulls' defensive prowess and, and the fact that they are establishing tempo and and, and the style of the game and they're making Brooklyn play that style, and Brooklyn can't beat them that way. So the only way Brooklyn's going to be able to turn this around and get and get a win today and even this thing up is if they make this a high-scoring, high-tempo game, a lot of possessions, and, and make Chicago play their style of basketball. And the Clippers, it's the same thing. I think the Clippers are better equipped to win a half-court game because of the pieces that they have than Brooklyn. 
But 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 you know, still Memphis is very very good if you let them set up their defense. They're playing a half court grinded out game with Gasol and 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 Zivo, those two guys. That's their style of basketball, and they're hard to beat when you let them play that style of basketball. And San Antonio kind of saw that last year. So, you know, with these two series, just quickly, one thing that I see is the tempo of these games are going to be everything. And and the style and the pace that these games are played at are going to determine who's going to win these games. So we'll see which team can come out and, and from the first half on really establish a tempo and a style and, 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 and which teams are going to get up and down the floor and if Memphis – and, and Chicago continue to make it a grinding out type of game, which the other teams are at a disadvantage of, of as far as winning those type of games. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially early in the game. Um, that you know, kind of comparing before you know, Lawrence, I want to get your thoughts, but it's like it's similar, right, Jay? I mean, with the Grizzlies and the Bulls, you know, you've got Zebo and Gasol over there in Memphis who, you know, they operate so well together just down there in the paint, and you've got Boozer and Noah there in Chicago that kind of play off each other, like, you know, pretty similar styles there. Exactly. So really contrasting, you know, the 4-5 series, both here in the East and West, very similar in those mm-hmm. senses. Uh, Lawrence, what are your thoughts on these two these two similar series? What we're seeing in these series is is exactly what I what I alluded to last week. I mean, especially in the Chicago series where I said that Chicago was the defensive minded team if they were able to slow down the Nets firepower, that they would be able to win these games and they and they've done that. I mean, Carlos Boozer has been a menace for Brooklyn. They haven't been able to find an answer for him. He's had double doubles in all three games. And um He's he's played really 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 well and and so is Luol Deng and it, it like Chicago's almost a team of role players they don't necessarily have that one superstar obviously that guy Derrick Rose is out but they're still a very good basketball team I mean Tibbs we know what Tom Thibodeau does he's a defensive minded coach he's gonna make sure his team slows down the pace gets stops kind of forces the other team to play their style of play, and, and that's uncomfortable for the Brooklyn Nets. They're, they want to score high numbers, and, I mean, it's evident the one game that they did win is the only game they scored 100 points. The other two games, they didn't make it to 100 points. Brooklyn is forcing them to – I mean, Chicago is forcing Brooklyn to play exactly how they want to play. And um, I think – I mean, we talked about the four and five series, both in the East and West, being uh, comparable last week. And I mean that's what Memphis is trying to do to Los Angeles. They're they're sl- they're slowing down Los Angeles a little bit, making it closer games, not allowing Los Angeles to get up and down their wall as much as they want to. But as I talked about last week, the the star power in Los Angeles is just greater than the star power in Brooklyn. I mean Chris Paul has gotten them over that hump, obviously with the game winning shot. The guys that. Uh, Los Angeles has has been able to handle the Grizzlies pressure. I mean, we we did see not the best Los Angeles Clippers in game 3, the first game in Memphis, but that was a game they could they could kind of afford to lose. It's, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in game 4 in Memphis. I I think if Los Angeles takes care of business, they'll they'll definitely take care of the series in in the five games that I called 
Um, I, I mean, I think so. I think if they if they get game four and put Memphis back against the wall, I think that they'll – I mean, what's stopping them from just ending the series as soon as they return to the Staples Center? I mean, they they played they played well enough to beat the Grizzlies this far. They it seems like they almost have the Grizzlies number. Like we said, it was a bit of a lackluster performance from Los Angeles, and, and the Grizzlies were able to impose their will a little bit more on their first home playoff game. But we don't know how how well that is going to continue. I mean, we'll see that tonight. But I these are two very good series, and I mean, these are two series that really mean a lot for next round matchups because I I mean these are these are going to be some of the matchups we're looking forward to the most like an LA OKC or possibly a Chicago Miami series I mean I I think that Chicago is going to take care of business so yeah that's kind of what I think about the the two four five matchups here. Um, so both of those games, in fact, Brooklyn and Chicago should be underway as we speak. Um, that game four is going on now. And then uh, following that game at 4.30, game four in Memphis between the Clippers and the Grizzlies. Um, definitely, you know, good points all around there. You know, you look for um, Memphis to, you know, what kind of response they make at home down to one And then you look for Brooklyn's response in Chicago, um, which, again, is underway now. So let's wrap up our sports segment now. Um, as I said before, you can find our picks throughout the NBA playoffs on basketballfeed.blogspot.com in addition, in addition to further posts and analysis. Um, we're going to kick it to our first commercial break and come back and talk a little music, talk some Frank Ocean and some other things that are upcoming, and uh, we'll be right back. It's the collective. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories, and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Yes, 
yes, we are back with the collective. Uh, just came back, just came back from our our first commercial break. We just wrapped up our first sports segment, talking some NBA playoff predictions uh, through the first round. As you said, uh, Game Four is underway between Brooklyn and Chicago right now. Uh, following, you have Memphis and and the Clippers in their Game Four in Memphis. Um, Oklahoma City and Houston will go at it later at 9.30. That'll be Game 3 in Houston. And Indiana-Atlanta will have their Game 3 in Atlanta at 7 o'clock. So much to look forward to. We'll be back next week right here, same time, talking more NBA playoffs and what will ensue uh, over the next week. Um, Another exciting year of playoffs for sure. Lawrence just got on my case for not talking about the Lakers series. But in my defense, I will say I gave them a chance to give some credit to San Antonio. But um, uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly, I have some I have some disdain when it comes to my Lakers. Um, uh, Lawrence, the only one who picked the Lakers, the Spurs to actually win in five. I went against my my better judgment. The Lakers obviously depleted, um, so we we omitted that series from our sports segment. So we're gonna we're just gonna transition it real smooth over to our music segment now. Um, I guess to, you know, to start off, kind of drive the conversation here, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Elle. I've got, I've got Hip Hop DX um, up here, and they, you know, they, they try to do their best at keeping the, um, you know, upcoming uh, albums and projects, um, hip hop and R&B coming up that we can look forward to. Um, We've you know we we we've had some some new music come at us uh, you know over the last couple of weeks we talked we talked about Chris Brown in the last few weeks um, uh, among among other people um, so you know I want to get guys thoughts you know going here into May and kind of transitioning into the the summer which is a huge period obviously for for music particularly in hip hop. Um, 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 you know, I want to uh, let kind of Lawrence get us started. You know, what are we looking forward to? Right? Uh, as I said, I had to list up from Hip Hop DX on some some upcoming projects this May. Um, the Dreams album is, is set for a May seventh release date. Um, his next album uh, titled Foreplay. Um, Eve has her album coming out next month, who we talked about uh, several weeks ago. Uh, we we don't have. Uh, I didn't mention our fourth co-host Tommy is not with us. Um, uh, he has some some obligations with his with his football team, so he, he won't be joining us this afternoon. But uh, Tommy Tommy is, is was an advocate of Eve when we talked about her upcoming Lip Lock album uh, a few weeks ago, and, and uh, you know we'll keep an eye out for that and see you know see what kind of noise Eve makes. But her album is set for next month, May 14th. French Montana's album is set for next month, May 21st. Um, just to name a few, uh, J. Cole's album obviously set for a June release date, June 25th. Um, Tommy's other guy, Wale, has his album, uh, The Gifted, set for a June release date. I believe it's the same date as the J. Cole album, June 25th. Um, so just a few, you know, just a few names there, obviously, um, a lot more to look forward to. Um, I'll give it to Lawrence first. I'll let you have the floor. Uh, who are you looking for in upcoming music? What can we look forward to? Well, we've gotten um, gotten a few a few snippets of, of different songs of guys that are going to come out with albums soon, and and, it, and it's really getting exciting. Uh, one of the guys, obviously, that I, I would hope everyone is looking forward to is is Drake. Obviously, uh, he, he has done some 
kind of interesting things as of late. Uh, we talked about the girls like Beyonce song and and kind of what that means with a guy like Drake and um, how how we should take that. And then we also talked about how there's still the 5 a.m. in Toronto Drake, who's the Drake that we really appreciate in terms of in terms of making very good hip hop music. Um, another guy, Earl Sweatshirt, is, is dropping his outdoors. Uh, I mean, there hasn't been a set date yet, but it's rumored to be early summerish. So I think that that's going to be one of the better albums of this year in terms of hip hop, in terms of music as a whole. I mean, the, the, this kid is is really really starting to develop and and do some really good things. So I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to that. Um, Obviously, Frank Ocean. We'll talk about we'll talk about some of the things he he's uh, rumored to uh, be involved with in terms of his upcoming album. But that's something to always look forward to in terms of just everything he brings to the table. It, it, it's the total package of musicianship. That's always going to be something good. Um, Outside of hip hop, even Daft Punk is coming out with another album, which is. And supposed to be very, very good. Uh, the first single, Get Lucky with Pharrell, came out last week. They actually previewed a video for it at, at Coachella Music Festival a few weeks ago. And, I mean, that's one of the better songs I've heard this year. It, it makes me wish disco was still in. And, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good song, and, and that's what Daft Punk offers. So it's really cool to hear that they're coming out with new music. But th- those are the albums... I'm I'm looking forward to the most probably right now. I, in terms of hip hop specifically, like you asked, uh, definitely Drake, definitely Earl Sweatshirt. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of other guys. I'm I'm excited to see what Ab Soul does. He dropped his first single apparently this week, uh, produced and featuring, produced by and featuring Mac Miller, which he lays a a very very good Ab Soul verse. Uh, the Ab Soul we want to hear from. Uh, was on this track and, and that that was really exciting. So those are kind of the 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 top things I'm looking for right now. Um, you, uh, you you mentioned Drake. We did you know we did talk about Drake last week with those those two new records he dropped. The, the girls like Beyonce and the the no new friends. Uh, neither confirmed as singles for the upcoming album. Uh, nothing was contained, um, but. As you mentioned, the conversation we had about Drake last week in terms of the 5 a.m. in Toronto Drake versus the girls like Beyonce Drake and what we can look forward to for his third album, Nothing Was the Same, definitely um, something we should all be looking forward to for sure. Um, uh, I'll I'll go to Jay next. Uh, Jay, what are you looking forward to um, in terms of upcoming music? Who are you looking out for? Who should we be looking out for? Um, I'm, I'm... Really looking forward to the French Montana album. Um, I wasn't too much of a uh, French supporter um, when he first came out, but now I am on board. Um, I just I just love his music. I love you know the people that he works with. Um, you know the production. You know even on his mixtapes have been very very good. And I, I, I love how different he is and his delivery and, and, and all that. I'm I'm totally on board um, you know, with 
with with what he's doing right now. So the French album next month, I think, is going to be really, really good. You know, something that will be, you know, cool to listen to all summer. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing how bad this Eve album is going to be. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to hear how much of a disaster it is. So I would go ahead and say that I'm excited to to hear the E album and the first single and, you know, what what does what she have to say? And, and that's, really what really, that's really what it's going to come down to for, for me. Like, what what do you have to say right now, E, that you either haven't said or you have said, but it didn't work? So, like, I, I, it's going to be, it's going to, like, like it, that's just going to be interesting to see. Um and uh, you know, the summer summer music, you know, is just always really, really fun. You know, people get excited about, you know, dropping albums during the summer and and you know, we'll we'll see what song or what artist or what album, you know, really really takes the summer by storm and kind of becomes, you know, the album or the song, you know, associated with the summer of twenty thirteen. And, and, you know, especially for rappers, um, it seems like rappers really enjoy, you know, coming out with songs during the summer and, and coming out with albums during the summer for, you know, tour purposes and things like that. So um, it, it'll be a hot one, you know, it'll just, just like in years past. And uh, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the albums that are coming out at the beginning and the, and the end of May as kind of, the start of, of of what should be a very very good summer in hip hop specifically and, and you know music overall. Um, I'm I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little left field with my picks. I, I've got four projects that I, I'm keeping my eye out on. In addition to the ones you you guys already eloquently mentioned mentioned, um, uh, Rick Ross's Mastermind album, which is set for the summer release date. Obviously, the only single dropped thus far is the Box Chevy record which has only grown on me. Um, you know, Ross Ross has just taken the summer by the neck and strangled it these last couple of years. And like you said in one of his records, the summer is mine. So, you, you, you know, <laughs> the summer is mine. I mean, the name of the record was The Summer is Mine. I mean, how much, how many, how much more bold can you be? Um, but he, he's, he's, he's taken on that recurring theme over the last few years, and especially following the God Forgives I Don't album, which I was openly, I mean, I reviewed the album, and I was expressive about my, my dislike for the album as a whole, particularly in comparison to other Ross albums. It really wasn't my favorite. Um, listenable songs, but, I mean, nothing, nothing written. Hold Me Back was probably the most, like, you know, Ross-like demonstrative song. And, you know, while it went hard, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't an MC Hammer, and it wasn't a, uh, you know, some of those other records. But I look forward to the Mastermind album just to see the kind of approach that Ross get, uh, has and even following up with the whole uh, controversy, which we, we also talked about on this show a couple weeks ago with the, the lyrics in the in the song that, you know, the, rape, the alleged rape lyrics that he has. So I look forward to seeing what he does with that. Um, I read yesterday, you know, Lauren Hill is, has, has signed a new music deal with Sony, and uh, apparently she is now working on a new album that is supposed to be helping her stay out of jail. She's had problems with her taxes recently. She's been 
uh, in, I mean, not she hasn't gone to jail yet, but she's supposed to be going to jail technically. But apparently, she's looking to make music. She signed a new deal with Sony, and she's doing a new album to to uh, help out her court fees and whatnot, which is supposed to be helping her stay out of jail. So, you know, obviously, we can all speak on the greatness of Lauren Hill. That's that's huge news for music. Um, obviously, no set release date or anything like that, but definitely something to look out for. Um, Chris Brown's X album for this summer, I think, is 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 really important. Um, the, the Fine China record, another record that has only grown on me. Um, I think it's I think he's he's taking a good step towards going to the vintage Chris Brown that we really kind of venerated and 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 acknowledged as as one of the you know the better male R and B artists. I think he got away from that with last year's Fortune album, which didn't make our top ten R and B albums of last year. Um, I think he's going back to the to the to the Chris Brown of old, and I, I think we're I think it's something to look out for. So I look forward to that. And uh, last but not least, J- Juicy J, Stay Trippy, <laughs> the, the Stay Trippy album. I look, yeah. I look forward to it for obvious reasons. Um, Scribbles. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with the movement. I'm down with the movement. And and again, no set release date for the album, but. You know, obviously a few singles have, have been let go. The, the, the band that make her dance, obviously, a huge record, the show-out record with, with uh, Young Jeezy and Big Sean, and the, uh, one of those nights, the record with The Weeknd. So uh, thus far, um, I, I think, I mean, a lot to look forward to. And even Wiz Khalifa said in an interview recently that Juicy J is, is collaborating with Justin Timberlake, of all people. Um, so you you kind of get a sense of what this album is going to bring, but somebody like Juicy J, I mean, you kind of really never know. Um, so I, I look forward to that as well, um, um, coming up in music. So Lawrence mentioned the Ab Soul record, which I would assume it will be up on our music blog today, uh, what we hear blogspot.com as one of the songs, our weekly uh, blog entry from Lawrence about the songs that you should have, that you should have in rotation. Um, that Ab Soul and Matt Miller collaboration, um, definitely something that should be in rotation. You can find that on our music blog later this afternoon. Um, to segue over to our, you know, our next topic, Lawrence mentioned it before, Mr. Frank Ocean, um, just this past week at uh, the Time Magazine event where he was obviously recognized as one of the top 100 most influential. Did you guys hear about that? There were five musicians on Time's uh, top 100 most influential people of the year. Of the year and, yeah. um, Frank Ocean was one of them along with Justin Timberlake, Miguel, uh, Jay-Z, and... This person is 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 uh, not coming to me right now, but you know Frank Ocean in, in that category definitely a um, says a lot about kind of, you know his influence you know and, and you know the kind of impact he's having on on music culture right now. Um, Frank said at the at the time event this week and talking about his sophomore album, talk a little bit about the vibe of it. Said that uh, his first album, of course, Channel Orange, was mostly inspired by listening to Stevie Wonder during studio sessions, and he says that this next album, uh, he's been listening to a lot more Beatles and Beach Boys. Um, so take that as you will, but kind of the first little bit of information that we're getting, uh, we did several weeks ago, at following the Grammys, Frank did say that he would be in Shanghai working on his new album, so we had a sense of where he'd be, but now we're kind of getting a sense of what he's doing in terms of the creative process, so we got to kind of more of a sense of what's going on. So, uh, Lawrence, I'll go to you first. What can we take away from this bit of news about his next album? I mean, it's really exciting. I mean, 
to compare to or to say that he he's uh kind of channeling the energy from um from the Beach Boys and the Beatles is is, is a big deal. I mean, it's it's, it's a big thing. I, I mean, realistically, a lot of artists have to channel uh, channel their inner Beach Boy and, and Beatles when making music because those are kind of the standards on on great music. I mean, great rock music particularly, and I think that 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 seems to be the direction he's kind of going into a, a more alternative sound. He uh, he is a R and B singer by, I guess, nature, and 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 that's what he came out at. But as we saw on Channel Orange, even though he was, he, he did cite Stevie Wonder as being a major influence. He kind of makes, uh, he he attempts to to step out outside of that R and B box as often as he possibly can, and I think that uh, that will be one thing that will be really cool about this. So um, what I take from it is that it, it's going to be a lot different, uh, a lot different from uh, from what we would necessarily expect from an artist like Frank Ocean, or at least from what the mass, uh, the mass audience expects because they see him as an R&B singer uh, primarily with, with some of the singles like the the thinking about you where where it's it's really an R and B song. So I'm I'm really interested in it because he he certainly did a little bit of of more of a rock alternative sound on, on some songs on Channel Orange and it those are very, very cool. You can talk about um like the uh the Pink Matter song for example. But um yeah, I, I think that it's a very cool thing. I, I'm a big Beatles fan. I'm not as much Beach Boys fan as I am a Beatles, but I am a, a, a big Beatles supporter. So any time I hear anything like that where it's one of my favorite current artists and old artists and it, it's kind of a sound that'll, that'll meet somewhere in the middle, that I'm very excited about. Uh, before I go to Jay, I, I think, is it fair to say that I think the loss record from Channel Orange, I think that kind of even channels a little Beach Boys kind of vibe. Is that is that oh, fair definitely. to say? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's 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 more upbeat kind of it, I mean it has it, it it's 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 a little hip hoppy still, but at the same time I, I definitely think that that goes along with that vibe. It's 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 different, man. It, it it's hard to actually put a label on it, but Definitely, that 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 could be cited as an influence for a song like that. So, um, hey, what are your thoughts? I'm 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 really not. I mean, I, it's cool to hear him say that because you know, as music lovers, we understand um, you know what the Beatles, the Beatles, uh, just embody, and we understand what the Beach Boys have done for music. So we understand the magnitude of what he's saying is influencing his next album. And, you know, it's obviously, like, okay for us to be excited because he's saying that. I'm I'm personally not reading into it, you know, that much. Uh, I feel like Frank Ocean has his own formula. And, you know, the things that influence him, I kind of feel like that's only in his world. And and that's important to him, and I, I'm not I'm not seeing it as something like extremely important. I I see it as as a good sign <laughs> that he's being influenced by great music, and you know he's kind of entering you know with this next album, 
you know, he's entering a, a, a sphere of greatness that, you know, is not comparable to either one of those groups yet, but, you know, he he wants to be that type of iconic artist, and, and you know, the talent is there. So, you know, I just hope that he just continues progressing and, and you know, his formula for, for you know, Frank Ocean fans has worked, you know, I think worked is even a, even a you know understatement in, in in this context. You know, he it's been tremendous. So uh, I'm I'm personally not reading into the comments that much, um, but uh, I mean, whoever's influencing him and whatever he's choosing to influence his music has worked. So I'm not going to really question that this man at all <laughs> about about you know his his his. Uh, way he draws motivation and inspiration for his music because he's made good choices in the past. And these, these two super groups of, of music, you know, the Beatles arguably being the best, you know, group of all time, um, maybe not even arguably, you can just say that, but they're the Michael Jordan of of, of, of music groups is, uh, is, uh, is cool. And, and, and I think it'll reflect in his music. Um, I don't know if we'll hear it, but, you know, it'll still be cool. So, you know, thinking about progression and thinking about, you know, kind of what what kind of direction, and obviously, you know, we, we take this kind of information and we kind of, you know, Jay said, you know, he's not really reading into it that much, you know. It's, I guess I kind of took away from his comments kind of, you know, we'll, we'll see it or we'll, like, rather, we'll hear it when we hear it. And um, you know, we'll kind of draw our conclusions from the actual sound of it. But you know, we take this, we take this information, and we, you know, we, try, you know, we try and formulate some kind of picture as to what that might look like. Um, go back to Lawrence real quick. I mean, in terms of you know, following up Channel Orange. I mean, obviously, we have no reason to believe that Frank is not coming with something uh, uh, just as great, but. You know, we talk about how diversified he is in terms of his genres, and in terms of how he can appeal to different genres. I mean, did, do you think do you think there's a specific genre that he maybe thrives in more than others? Do you think there's one that he may not necessarily stick to, but maybe emphasize a little bit more? Uh, Lawrence, I don't think we can. I don't think we can hear you. Oh, I was on mute. <laughs> what I what I was saying though was I, I don't think necessarily it, it is specific to any genre at all. I don't think that he. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily something that we need to really look into because then what what he does break is is his songwriting ability. That that's what really separates him. That's not specific to any genre. He he writes good songs, he writes great melodies, like he he's a very very good musical mind and, and that's what what is there to appreciate kind of. So I mean when looking at it, it it's hard to not put it into a genre because we're like we just we need to classify things but at the same time it it's kind of just I take it as just music really. I, I wrote when I, I wrote a um a feature story on Frank Ocean uh, last summer before Channel Orange came out. I wrote that he put he he um classified his first mixtape 
as a <laughs> the, the Nostalgia Ultra tape, which is like the first uh, real EP we got from Frank Ocean. Uh, as a bluegrass album, <laughs> and that's how it like comes up in iTunes. And he said that he did that just because he thought it was cool, and and, and like he he kind of makes it a point to to not try to uh, uh, put himself in any sort of box, whether that's genre or or anything else. So I, I think that's kind of how we should look at it. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts in terms of? The, the genres of Frank Ocean. I mean, what are you what are you looking at in terms of that demographic when it comes to him? See, um, I, I just think it, it speaks to his versatility as an artist. Um, you know, he can he can experiment, and and he can kind of dig into different genres of music and pull things out, and 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 and, but he always makes it his own. And, and it's never copycatting, and it's never, like, complete, like, you know, exact replicas of other people's stuff. It's always Frank Ocean, but with, you know, with a, with a different twist. And, you know, like, like, like Lawrence was uh, talking about his first mixtape, um, you know, he has, it's a big Radiohead influence on that album. You know, there's, there's classic rock songs that he's singing over. Um, you know, particularly the American Wedding um, um, song, but you know he still makes it his own, and, but and, and he's versatile and he does it in a in a in a fashion that's still Frank Ocean. So as long as it's still Frank Ocean, you know I have no problem with him, you know, experimenting and digging into some type of you know other things. And you know, as an R&B artist, more so than a rapper, I think you're allowed to. You know, to, to you know, kind of, kind of use and pick different genres of music and, and bring it all together and kind of make it your own and have it be, you know, effective and still, you know, above quality music. So, um, you know, I that I mean that's how I feel about it. He's extremely versatile, and we've seen that in his album. You know, the Pyramid song alone um, from Channel R, and you can just you can you can feel how versatile he is. You know his songwriting and his melodies, and you know the tones of his voice and all that stuff. So he's he's tremendous, and, and as long as it's Frank Ocean, and and you know people that listen to him know what I'm saying when I say as long as it's Frank Ocean, um, you know I think I think it's I, I see no problem with it, and I think he can continue to execute it well. Uh, what you said, you know, about him, you know, making it his own. It's, it's, and you guys, tell me what you think about this because I, I, a complex comes to mind because he really, when you look at him, I mean, he truly is kind of the first of his kind. I mean, he blends together a, a lot of different familiar sounds and, and techniques and whatnot, but essentially going off of what Jay said, it's so true. I mean, he makes it, he makes it his own, and everything he does is very Frank Ocean. You might say... You know, like Jay said, the, the Nostalgia Ultra, I I don't think I ever really even understood it that, but, I mean, when I think about it, very, I mean, a, a lot of Radiohead influence there, but it's like, it's almost like you want to say it's Radiohead meets Stevie Wonder, meets Prince, meets, you know, it, it's like there's so many elements to it, but to go to the complex, and tell me what you guys think about this. I think in, in when it comes to Frank Ocean's feel, he is, and, I mean, dare I say, this is this is a vast comparison, but I, I'm saying there's, there's a LeBron James complex there. And, and, and stay with me. I mean, this, I'm, I'm looking at it from the aspect of you look at someone like LeBron who 
you know, obviously there, everyone has their opinion of, of where he ranks all time. Some would say he's the best of all time right now, but we won't go into that, that just straight foolery. But we can say that LeBron, you, you, you might say that LeBron is, is a combination of Magic and Barkley. Or, you know, you, know, you, you might say he's, he's kind of like the new age Magic, but he's, he's obviously ten times as athletic. I mean, world beyond him athletic-wise. Um, and, and strength-wise and athletically. But, you know, you, you can't really put a, a label or a comparison on LeBron because he came in doing things that really we had never seen before. So I, I kind of I, I make that complex because I think about what you guys say. I mean, what do you guys think about that, that comparison? I, I, think that, I think that's fair to say. And, um, you know, it, it, and it's and it's because of that very reason, Martin, it's because of how unique they both are and 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 what they've brought to the game and, you know, respectively, and, and then, you know, what where they can go. I just feel like both of their ceilings are so high that, you know, you know, it's kind of like sky's the limit for for both of these guys, you know, just making the comparison. And and, you know, their work speaks to that. And and, you know, it, it's you know, we don't know what Frank Ocean, you know, has left and, and, and what type of, like, you know, continued progress he can go through. And we don't know, you know, we, we know that LeBron is still getting better and he still has, you know, you know work to do as far as, like, really solidifying himself. So um, I think that's a fair comparison as far as, you know, R&B where it's just, you know, for, for – and I, and I guess I can speak for – you know, all of us on this show, um, we feel like Frank Ocean is the best R&B artist, you know, in the game right now. And and he's the most, he's, he's different. And, you know, there's other guys that are, that are tremendous, obviously. Um, but, you know, he's at the top of this field. And Le- LeBron's obviously at the top of his field as well. And I think the comparison is, is, is sort of, is more so, to the fact that both of their ceilings are just so high and they just both have the ability, the talent, and the opportunity to really, you know, change, you know, their respective games in the sense that they can rewrite the history book. And 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 it, it'll be exciting and interesting to see, you know, especially with Frank Ocean, you know, how this next album goes and, you know, how his music continues to get better going forward. I hope that when we're, you know, 30 and when we're 35 and we're 40, that Frank Ocean is still making music and that we can still appreciate it and that we will still be excited about, you know, the things that he does. And as we get older, I think we'll definitely just continue to be excited and and amazed at the things that LeBron is going to do and is doing right now. So uh, I think think that's a a perfect comparison model. Uh, what do you think about that about that equation? I mean, I think I think it definitely works. I think, I mean, Jay Jay kind of touched on 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 all the important points as as you did as well. Um, I mean, there there are two that can be considered great already, which is which is I feel like why you make that comparison because they they haven't necessarily gone through the entire motions of their career yet. They're kind of like in the thick of it right now. 
and um, they they can already be considered great just off of what they've done, and and also the uh, the idea of the versatility of both of them in their respective arts is 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 key to look at because as we just talked about, what Frank Ocean kind of can do a little bit of everything, the same way LeBron does a lot of everything, realistically. So, yeah, no, I I, I like that a lot. Um, okay, good. I mean, good stuff there on Frank Ocean. Um, next order, next and last order of business for our music segment, um, I want to talk about the Great Gatsby soundtrack. And it's, it's fitting for our final topic because we'll go to our commercial break after this and come back and I'll, I'll drive a, a, a little discussion between us about about uh, about movies for our TV and film segment, but uh, the Great Gatsby soundtrack. Um, obviously, uh, I don't have the exact date that it's supposed to be out. I know it's supposed to actually be released soon. I'm not sure if it's supposed to it's come May out. May 7th. Actually. Is it May 7th? Okay, so it's May actually that's the same day that the movie comes out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, I, I think the movie the, comes out the 10th, so it's like it's uh, just a few days before. Okay. 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 So in a couple of weeks we'll get it. Um, there has been um, uh, many releases. I, I've actually I've been able to hear snippets of of, of each of the songs. It was released. A, a small snippet of each song um, was released, and and uh, the Beyonce and Andre 3000 song on the, sound, the soundtrack, a, a radio rip of of that song, was released today. Um, but you know, Jay Z with his fingerprints all over this soundtrack. Um, I believe he is the producer for the soundtrack officially. Um, the Great Gatsby movie, obviously, you know, one of the the, the highlights kind of, of of movies this year. But um, this soundtrack, you know, you've got Jay Z, Beyonce, Andre 3000, Will I Am, Fergie, uh, Florence and the Machine, uh, Gautier, just to name a few. Um, from what we've heard thus far, even from what you see initially from the track list, I mean, this is not your typical movie soundtrack. Um, you know, before I get you guys' thoughts on it, um, you know. Personally, I am a I am a huge uh, uh, supporter and appreciator of movie soundtracks. I have dozens of soundtracks in my iTunes, um, I, to the point where I actually have favorite film composers. I mean, you're uh, Hans Zimmer, who did the whole Dark Knight series, you know, and and, and did the, even the sounds for Inception and 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 others like Sherlock Holmes, and you're, you're Danny Elfman, who does kind of the more uh, the, the the Tim Burton the Tim Burton movies your Alice in Wonderlands and you know your 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 Oz you know your Oz movies and that kind of stuff and and sounds music obviously such an important part of of movies and in television um, but you know movie soundtracks uh, movie, you know film scores are are so important without the without the sound without the music really that's that's I feel like that's about fifty percent of the kind of feelings that movies are, are trying to evoke comes from the music that is played during certain scenes, during certain events. Um I think the music is really fifty percent of that 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 uh, that campaign to really evoke feelings out of your audience. So um soundtrack is very important I feel like that we you know personally that's that's you know that's kind of my my thing, but this, you look at this soundtrack and a lot of things to look forward to. Um, Lawrence touched on it beforehand when we were discussing it about how great this album, this soundtrack could be, kind of you know, in, in terms of as an album. Uh, Lawrence, I'll let you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, 
we we talked about it this morning even because uh, that's when I first heard the uh, Beyonce and Andre 3000 song. But, I mean, it could end up shaping out to be one of the better albums we have this year. I mean, it's obviously a compilation and, and it's a bunch of different artists. But, I mean, the track list, I, I both... Beyonce, Andre 3000, Jay-Z, VXX, um, Emily Sande, uh, Florence and the Machine. I mean, there, there's so many, Jack White even. There's so many people on the soundtrack, that, and, and, it's, and it's all relevant music artists, and, and it's all those that are known to be some of the best in their respective genres. So I, I think it's going to be really, really cool. I think that the, I mean, from what I've seen about the Great Gatsby trailers, the, the way the music is is important to the to the actual feel of the movie is going to be really cool. I think the I, I'm really really looking forward to seeing the Great Gatsby. I mean, I was when I found out that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be the the star of the movie, and even more so when I find out that Jay Z doing the soundtrack and and all of these songs are going to be tied into the movie's plot. I, I think it's going to be really, really cool. The Beyonce and Andre 3000 song will definitely be up on the blog later, too. I haven't been able to find anything that doesn't have the annoying East Village radio tag every 10 seconds, but right. um, but the song is the song is awesome. It, it's the, I've, you mentioned it. It's the remake of the, the Amy Winehouse Back to Black song, and it, I mean, the, it, it's Really, really cool, really electronic sounding, uh, uh, and a lot of the songs are like that. So it, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be sick, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this soundtrack. Lots of powerful uh, selections. I, a quick note: the, the Florence and the Machine record, which I've gotten to hear in its entirety, and the Lena Del Rey record, which I've actually found and, and placed into my iTunes for my own listening pleasure both very captivating songs. I mean, Florence and the Machine, I think, personally, it's hard for me to say, but I have such a love for their for their group and, and the kind of sounds they do. I think Florence Welch has has made perhaps the most captivating voice, um, and even more so than even, I mean, in Adele, you're looking at I mean, she's, I mean, soul, and, and Florence has soul, but in it's really just a captivating type of voice, um, and she really, I mean, her vocals are spread out. I mean, just she completely lets loose on the record, on the soundtrack, the, the Over the Love record. Um, definitely something to check out. The Lena Del Rey record, which I also mentioned, uh, Young and Beautiful, another powerful message, another powerful song by a powerful vocalist. So you get a sense of, of what we're looking of what we're getting from this soundtrack. Uh, Jay, what are you looking forward to? What do you see from this soundtrack that's caught your eye? Um, I'm I'm looking at the the track list and stuff now. You know, obviously Jay Z being behind it, uh, and he and, and Jay Z being my personal favorite rapper of all time. You know, I just I always think that you know anything that he is involved with is going to be quality. Um, you know, the Beyonce and Andre 3000. Um, is that collab on the great? Is that from the Great Gatsby soundtrack? Uh, which collab is that? The the Andre three thousand and Beyonce track. That's it, yeah, that's on the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, that's I heard it this morning and that's gonna be pretty crazy. Um I wanna I'm interested in hearing the new song from Florence and the Machine. Um, you know, Jay Z is just you know, he you you knew if he was gonna be behind it it was going to be heavy. Uh, you know, the names were gonna be there. Um, so 
and, and and like Martin said, like I can't can't really stress it enough how important you know music is to to, to movies uh, as far as you know really capturing the moment and 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 making it you know memorable. Um, there's been so many songs that have come out that you like hear in a movie, and you may not know the artist of the song, but you you know what movie that song was in or something like that, and right. it's, it is, and it's uh, and it's obviously extremely important to anything. Um, so you know, and as of late, I would I would I would say you know over the last you know couple years, music you know movie soundtracks have not been as as big as they were in the past. So, so to see if Jay Z can really, you know, help with the resurrection of movie soundtracks, um, you know, being, you know, something important and something that people like really, really value, um, will be will be cool to see. So I think uh, I'm I'm encouraged that it's Jay Z doing it, and I and I I'm, I'm expecting it to be, you know, tremendous and a, and a really cool kind of collaboration album of different types of artists and genres and, and kind of embodying what the uh, what the movie is about. Um, but also providing quality music, so that'll be that'll be cool too. For sure, um, yeah. You you mentioned it definitely. You know, Jay Z, uh, seemingly probably the only person of his kind that could pull something like this off of this magnitude um, and make it and make it you know this great. Put his fingerprints on such a such a big time movie. Um, you know, have his own song on there and, and head the production. Um, probably, you know, maybe I could see like a Dr. Dre maybe doing some kind of movie soundtrack or something, but something, and, and, and I think Jay said it really well, something like The Great Gatsby of its magnitude. Um, it, you know, it's not a it's not a Friday movie. It's not a, you know, it's not Boys in the Hood. I mean, it's, it's The Great Gatsby. It's a, it's a nationally known story, and it's a, it's a phenomenon. And the fact that Jay-Z is behind it says a lot about um, uh, you know, him and, and, you know, what he's able to do, the kind of influence he has. Again, going back, you know, the Time Magazine's top 100 influential people, Jay-Z was, you know, on the list, one of five musicians, as we said before, um, along with Frank Ocean and others. But, uh, you know, speaks to his prominence as an artist and as a businessman, and um, we'll look forward to the soundtrack as well as the movie. Um, we're going to wrap up our music segment now. Once again, you can... Uh, find our music blog at whatwehear.blogspot.com um, where you can find features with you and uh, certain music uh, that, that you can find in your rotation um, as of right now. Uh, so we're going to go to our final commercial break, come back and wrap up our discussion with our TV and film segment. Um, I'll drive the discussion on something that's kind of bothering me about big-name actors and the movies they're doing as of late. So I'll get my co-host thought on that. And we'll wrap up the discussion on the collective. Yeah. Be right back. Keys 107 and the FOI Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam, The Final Call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. 
Today, the Final Call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the Final Call newspaper. You can find one of the beautifully bow-tied representatives in your community or read finalcall.com. All right, we're back with the collective uh, winding down for our last about five to ten minutes of our show. Um, we never give our uh, this last segment justice, and um, I will I will make sure that we you know we make time for some more talk. You know, in the coming weeks and months, we do have we'll have much to discuss in uh in particularly in movies. Um, a lot of big movies coming out. We talked about. We talked about the great Gatsby with the soundtrack, but the movie itself will certainly be a point of discussion on this show. Um, also, big big movies that we've talked about in the last few weeks, Iron Man 3 coming out uh, next Friday. Um, obviously, the Superman movie, a big blockbuster for this summer. Um, a couple of new comedies coming out. We talked about the uh, This is the End with James Franco and, and Seth Rogen's new venture. Um, so, you know, some movies to look forward to coming up in the future, which we'll, we'll talk about on this show. Um, to kind of wrap up our, 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 our show and our discussion, I want to drive kind of one last discussion point, um, piggybacking off something I was thinking about the other day in, in, in movie theaters. You know, I look at, and, and, and I started thinking about this when I started thinking about Tom Cruise. And, you know, Tom Cruise has the new movie out, Oblivion. Um, it, it's been out in theaters since this uh, last weekend, as a matter of fact. Um, it's been number one in the box office. Not much competition to go against it right now. Uh, the Great Gatsby, I'm sure, will will rise to prominence once that comes out in a couple weeks. But Oblivion solely at the top of the box office right now. Um, as with every movie, you know, you see mixed reviews. I've I've read reviews that said that this was Tom Cruise's best movie, and I've read other mo- reviews that said that it's the movie is not worth a dime. Um, when you you know looking at it on on surface level, we know what do we we know about Tom Cruise? What he's a Scientologist, he's a full-on weirdo, and you know he's out there. He, I mean, he's he, you can kind of see kind of you know he's sort of a deep kind of thinker type. I mean, for him to make a movie like this, you know, the kind of the futuristic type of theme, um, you know, you get kind of the sense of Tom Cruise's uh, philosophy, you know, his his approach with movies, the kind of movies he enjoys making. I, and, you know, I, I say this to kind of ask a larger question as we wrap up, and I want to get other guys' thoughts on this. You know, I'm looking at your big-name actors, your big-name guys right now, um, and just, you know, the three that come to mind uh, that are kind of still active and that have stuff coming out, you know, Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, and Will Smith. And, you know, I mentioned Tom Cruise with Oblivion, you know, and, and Will Smith has a movie coming out this summer with his son, um, After Earth, um, which is also another futuristic type of feel, um, kind of I Am Legend-esque, but a little, I guess you could say a little more kind of an avatar twist to it, not necessarily, but kind of that feel to it. It's more futuristic. It's, it's 
Um, it's Will and his son. It's it's the story about after Earth was destroyed and, and they go back to Earth and it's, it's this whole situation. But, you know, I guess my problem, and to go to my other example, you know, Denzel, um, I, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen his most recent work with the movie Flight. So I can't, I can't, I can't really discuss that or look at that, you know, critically in any sense. But, and and I've heard, I've heard good things about that movie for the most part. I mean, I, I've also heard it, you know, it wasn't Denzel's best. And of course, he's in the latter part of his career right now. But you know, he's got this movie coming out with Mark Wahlberg soon. I don't have the name of the movie in front of me, but it's supposed to be a comedy. You know, Mark Wahlberg is on this whole comedy trip. Um, I'm a little, um. I'm almost mad. I mean, I'm almost to the point where I'm mad. I mean, I want to get guys' thoughts on this. Uh, you know, these big name actors. You know, I guess I guess my problem is, you know, where where are the you know someone like Will Smith who did a, who did movies? I mean, you, you just go down the line. The same with Washington and Cruz. You know, your pursuits of happiness is your your you know your Independence Days and your Enemies of the State. I mean, obviously, you know, these were kind of older, and, and now we you know kind of progressed into now, and I think the, the last movie he was a part of, I don't want to be, but I think it was the Seven Pounds movie, which is another strongly themed movie, but I, I guess I, I'm trying to, I, I'm, I'm trying to level with these actors. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, kind of step into their world, but someone like Tom Cruise, when you make a movie like Oblivion, I'm not necessarily interested in that. I mean, I'm of the mindset that you might as well just make more Mission Impossible, and I'd be more pleased with Tom Cruise making Mission Impossible movies. Um, so I, I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, uh, Jay, you know, what do you think about, about this? I mean, am, am I, am I being a little too cynical here? I mean, am I, but what do you think about these points? No, I, I don't think you're being too cynical at all. I, I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, with movies, you know, you really want to see something that you can connect with. And 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 you know, uh, you, I, for me, you know, the based on the true story type movies that are actually based on a true story, <laughs> um, those are more interesting to me. You know, like like as a as an American, as a human being, like you want to see some movies that you can kind of relate to, and and or and or see happening. So like the Oblivion movie, like I I I wasn't even gonna waste my time going to see that because that's not my type of thing. I saw the trailer for the Will Smith movie, like I I, I guess it's a cool concept, but like I'm not really into that type of stuff. I Am Legend was was, was cooler, um, even though it was kind of like out there in the concept of the movie because it was still kind of like real life, I guess. <laughs> like it like it was in New right. York and it was it was kind of you know, it was still kind of relevant to, like, a bigger population of people. But these type of movies that they're coming out with now, um, it just seems so out there. And, like, only, like, kind of, I, I guess I'll be real, like, I think it's just going to be attractive for, like, we're like weirdos, like, people that really, like, <laughs> <laughs> the people that are into, like, this, like, sci-fi, like, 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 real, like, movement with, like, futuristic stuff and, 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 it's worked in the past, but I think it's kind of getting old. And, and I, I would I would rather go see a movie like Forty Two, or, or or something along those lines than some stupid, you know, sci-fi movie with Tom Cruise. Um, as far as Denzel goes, I I think it would be cool to see him in a comedy role, 
I feel like he's still going to be serious. I think he's just going to be very sarcastic, more so than, like, goofy and out there. Um, I'm getting kind of tired of Mark Wahlberg. I was, I, I, I'm a fan. Um, you know, Italian Job is, is, is one of my, you know, favorite movies just to sit down and watch. Just, like, if I haven't seen it in a while, like, I always enjoy, you know, even, you know, Three Brothers or Four Brothers and stuff like that. Like, some of the other stuff that he's been in that he's played a more serious role. Um, I'm not going to go see the movie with The Rock that he has coming out. Like, come on. Right. And, and it's just like, you know, those movies are are to generate money more so than they are to inspire someone or, 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 or really hit home and stuff like that. Those are just money movies, and, and I'm not really too much of a fan of that. Like, you're not going to get my money unless it's something that I feel like I can get something out of it, and Mark Wahlberg is just not that funny to me. So, um, you know, I'm... I, I, I feel exactly the way you feel about what's what's to come and movies from some of the bigger names, you know, this stuff. I'm I'm definitely right with you on that. Um, yeah, you, I think you make some, some strong points only to kind of emphasize my initial points. Uh, I mean I'm glad you're with me on that. Um it's about what you take away from these movies and you know, the whole post apocalyptic stuff. I mean, if anything, you know, they're good for good visuals. You know, that's always a cool thing. And, you know, they're always promoting the 3D, see these movies in 3D and stuff, and they, they emphasize the visual aspect. But, you know, again, what you're taking away from these post-apocalyptic scenes are, I mean, what's, the most you're going to take away from it is, is a sense of fear that, that you know, that might be, end up being something that's happening. I mean, I think it's good to challenge people's thoughts and, and, and thinking and stuff, but these like you said, these, these movies that are just so out there, you know, I would rather something a little, you know, a little more on the ground that I can, as you said, that I can relate to, that I can take something away from. Um, and again, these, you know, these, these top name actors, your Cruises, Smiths, and Washingtons, you know, they're, they're on the, the, the latter part of their careers. So that, you know, it's like, it's almost like they're, they're looking to adhere to, you know, the movie, the movie audience, the movie generation of today, which seems to be, you know, the, the, the progressive era of, of movies, I guess now, you know, the 3D, the hot, you know, the intense visuals, the, mm-hmm. the you know, your avatars pretty much. I think Avatar was very instrumental kind of for this, uh, kind of the new wave of, of watching movies, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be fair to say. So, yeah. you know, you see that, and I think you're seeing that a lot more. And I, I'm with you on the Denzel point. I think it, I think probably more sarcasm humor than, than you know, silly or, or witty humor or anything like that. Again, I, I'm, I'm. I guess I might. I guess I feel just a little not not cheated, but I, I feel like I'm watching Denzel digress almost. I mean, you know, obviously you look back to those your, your, those training days and 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 uh, you know uh, your American Gangsters and and all those great movies that he did in the past. And you know now for us, you know that he was, these guys were the, the top name actors of our generation, and now it's almost like we're going into a new generation of actors and, and movies and all that stuff. Um, we're winding down here to our last few seconds. Thank you to all our, our live listeners and callers. Uh, this is the Collective Week 11 wrapping up. This is a wrap. Yeah. <laughs>